All right. Welcome back to Real Talk Unleashed, the Real Ass Veterinary Podcast for Real Ass Veterinary Professionals. My name is Caitlin Sharapova. And I'm Dr. Tasha Stark. And I'm Michelle Pevahouse. And today we have a very exciting guest with us. We have Walter Brown. Walter Brown is an emergency and critical care specialty veterinary technologist, social media public figure, influencer, comedian, and founder of Skinny Go Live, LLC. Walter combines his background in veterinary medicine with comedy to bring education and relief to veterinary professionals worldwide. He has millions of views and continues to create viral content online. While devoting his time to Skinny Go Live, Walter is also a veterinary technologist program liaison for United Veterinary Care. He cultivates relationships with veterinary technology programs and provides students with opportunities and resources to pave the way for future career interests. In addition, Walter has plans to develop supplemental learning courses and seminars for veterinary technology students, pet parents, and kids of all ages. His ultimate dream is to create veterinary assistant programs for inner city schools and charter schools in low-income areas. Walter received his veterinary technology degree from Fort Valley State University and was academically trained in emergency and critical care at the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine. In addition to social media influencing and education, he is an avid arachnid hobbyist. He enjoys the life stages and development of tarantulas and has a collection of over 10 species. Welcome, Walter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. So excited to be here, man. Thank you guys for again reaching out and um, hey, I'm ready to have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to start off with asking you, what is your favorite and least favorite thing about VetMed? Oh man, favorite thing <laughs> and least favorite thing about VetMed. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite thing about veterinary medicine, I think it's changed over years, but um, at, at this point right now, my favorite thing is like meeting people. I meet so many people from different aspects of life um, in the industry, as well as like pet parents or whatnot. Um, I've become more of a people person. I think I've always kind of been a people person, but you know, you get in vet med, you've always told like, you get in vet med because you like animals and not people. But um, as I've gotten older, I've realized that you have to put two and two together. So I think my favorite thing now is meeting people. Uh, my least favorite thing is I think, again, now that I've gotten older, like if you would ask me this question 10 years ago, it would have changed. Maybe five years ago, it would have changed. Um, my, um, least favorite thing is the lack of education um, for pet parents. Like, I don't think we do a good job as professionals putting enough information out of there because, again, we have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our businesses or whatnot. And I think a lot of information that we either give the pet parents, they will take it and run with it in one direction, and then it will kind of put us in a situation. And, uh, you know, so I think the lack of education and being able to actually have conversations with pet parents prior to them actually getting pets and bringing them into the hospital I think that's my least favorite thing at this point in veterinary medicine now. Yeah, I uh, I, I love watching your TikTok because I think that you do a, you know, a lot of that in a way by using humor. So I really appreciate that about you. What made you decide to go into veterinary medicine and what made you choose ECC as your VTS specialty? Uh, good question. Um, I always tell people, uh, it's funny, it's kind of a candid answer. I think veterinary medicine found me. I ran from veterinary medicine a lot for a while. Um, the thing that kind of introduced it to me um and you know i don't know how much good time you guys got but uh <laughs> i think the thing that introduced me um in a in a just a short amount of time is my grandmother my grandmother had a farm um she had a lot of animals or whatnot and it wasn't like a farm farm it was like a makeshift farm where you know it was a goat here cow here and she had a lot of hunting dogs right because she had a lot of farmland around and these hunt hunters after they got a busted dog that was just like no good they would literally drop them off at Miss Mandy house because they know my grandmother would take care of these dogs, right? So going to my grandmother's house all the time, like that was my thing. Like I would get to see what new dog was there, feed them or whatnot. 
And my grandmother had this special love for pigeons or, or, or white doves or whatnot. So I had this weird deal. My dad to always tell, I would save my allowance and buy my grandmother a pigeon every time I went to her house, every time I would buy her a pigeon. So that was my thing. So as a child, I mean, three or four or five years old going until I was like 12, 13. And my grandmother lived like on the land, off the land. Like I was 15, still using an outhouse. Like, so that's the logistics of like how grandmother, the grandmotherly it was. So um, I ran from it a lot. And just like any kid, my mother really pushed me. She was like, she saw it in me. And like any child, right? Your mother pushed you to do something. What do you do? Rebel, right? So my mother pushed me, pushed me, pushed me to be veterinary medicine, veterinary medicine. I just didn't want to do that. So my other half was like being a band geek. I, I was a drummer. I was like, you know what? Nope, I ain't doing it, mom. I ain't going veterinary medicine. I'm going to be a drummer. I ended up doing, you know, scholarship with Morris Brown, did like the movie Drumline, did all these like cool things, right? After the school lost their accreditation, it was like, hey, you either coming home or you're finding another school. So what was my second love, right? Veterinary medicine. So um, I ended up going to Fort Valley State uh, University, which is a historical black college. And uh, there's when it all started. And then that's when I actually learned that there was more to veterinary medicine than just, than just being a veterinarian. And I learned about veterinary technology because I started as pre-vet and it was a lot of like chemistries and organics. And and I was like, hey, what is that barn over there with all those cows and who are those kids? They're like, oh, those are the veterinary technology kids. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm changing my major. I want to go play over there. So uh, that's when I learned about the nursing part of veterinary medicine. And uh, that's how I end up getting into veterinary medicine in, in a short amount of time type of deal. The ECC part came when um, at Fort Valley, you have to do a 16 week rotation before you graduate. And that's where we were doing our rotations at prior to graduation was at University of Georgia. And um, I just fell in love with the uh, emergency and critical care department. And uh, prior to graduation, because I had a little bit of experience, they asked me prior to finishing, they were like, hey, you want a job here in ECC? I was like, I ain't even graduated yet. They were like, we got faith in you. <laughs> so so um, I ended up getting a job while I was an uh, externship student and um, spent the next 11 years in emergency and critical care. And again, the resilience and the things that I like to do, I just kind of took it all the way top to, I was like, I got, I want to be at the very top of emergency and critical care. And that ended up being a, a VTS specialist. And I was like, well, there it is. You probably know that our profession is the whitest profession. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have, you, have you noticed? Uh, so <laughs> I know that you work with Dr. Nicole Bruno. Um, she and I are really good friends as well. And um, I mean, one of the things that we, she and I always talk about is just diversity in the profession and just increasing diversity in the profession. But why do you think more black men don't choose veterinary medicine as their profession? Why don't men choose it at all? Is question. Right. <laughs> but um, black men, for the most part, again, exposure. You know, it was one of those things where I've never, I, I, I had not seen black professionals um, in veterinary medicine. And, you know, it was one of those things where I grew up and I didn't expect to see a black person in veterinary medicine. So it wasn't one of those things that I was like, oh, there are no black people that do veterinary medicine. It was just one of those things that you were never taught to do. You may have read about it as a kid in elementary school or whatnot, but all the pictures were someone that didn't look like you. So you were always conditioned to say, you know, hey, an athlete, an artist or other things, but it was never to be a veterinary uh, professional. And I think what got me to that and, you know, this is the real talk and leave. So I was the typical black kid in a black community and you had your Rottweilers, your Doberman Pinchers, your pit bulls. Like these were just dogs that were in your community. You didn't see Shih Tzus, and, which is my favorite dog, by the way, Shih Tzu. I'll take a Shih Tzu any day. The older crotchetier, the teeth falling out, the more I love them. But um, in the, you know, I just saw a lot of 
was a lot of pit bulls, right? A lot of pit bulls. Everybody wanted pit bulls. It was the thing to do. So I grew up like having pit bulls just from the look. And one day there was a, a, a guy, they were talking about, oh man, you know, they're, they're matching dogs down the way. I was like, what are you guys talking about matching dogs? Here I am like 10, 12 years old. And they were talking about dog fighting and stuff. And I was like, it just took a breath out of me. That's not cool. Like that's, that's not cool. It was just one of those things really, really like sparked me from a kid. I was like, like I'd raise puppies. Like these are like your friends. These are your best friends. Like how, how could you do something like that? Right. So, um, all in all, you know, um, the aspect of it being in that community. And I think, you know, black males don't know that you can have a career in veterinary medicine or different aspects of it. So, so, um, just to piggyback off of your comment about like exposure and not seeing anybody that looks like you. I mean, it was kind of the same deal, Michelle and Caitlin. We talk about this all the time. Just when I was younger, I always said I wanted to be a veterinarian and I was always told, well, you know, you're black, you, you know, that that doesn't happen. Even my parents, I mean, my, my mom used to say, well, gosh, maybe you could be a nurse or something like that. Um, you know, one of the things I live out in the suburbs, I live in a very affluent area and there are tons of summer veterinary programs here to get kids interested in veterinary medicine. But, you know, my husband grew up in Baltimore. He grew up in the hood <laughs> and there are no programs that are similar. My husband and always, we always joke that apparently only talented and gifted kids live in the suburbs because all of the programs that are geared toward, you know, professions and, you know, being successful are all in the suburbs. But I, I think it just kind of starts from the foundation of letting kids see that, you can be a veterinarian, you can be a veterinary technician in a profession that maybe people don't always look like you. Right. I think for the, and the biggest part of that, what I've realized with being around, uh, especially more of the, the black community is that there's a drive to have your own, right. To be an entrepreneur, to make money. Right. And what I like to let these younger kids know is like to be unique, when I do my presentations, when we go to these events with Bruno, um, my presentation has all the unique things that I've done as a hustle or what I call my hustle that actually made me love veterinary medicine more. Right now in this room, there are 40 tarantulas on this side of the wall. I got 40 tarantulas of different species. I go to these different repticons or whatnot. There are four spiders over there that are $400. People call me all the time, like ready to buy them. You wouldn't know that, right? Until you got into something unique like that, right? I had a worm farm. I had a whole worm farm on my slide. It's a worm farm. How did I get into that? I had this little like worm cafe thing I got off Amazon. I was like, what if you could turn this into a bigger scale? So I, my dad had my bag. We turned this in like three acres into like a worm farm that made like lots of money. And, you know, so it's the thing of like exposing them to different hustles that will actually get you there. Some kids want to go out and save dogs and cats. And look, some of them are like, I want to make some money, but how do you expose me to that other than just dogs, cats, veterinary medicine or whatnot? You can bring them in as a whole, but you have to expose them to different hustles that they like, they think that are weird. I know so many black kids that have snakes. Now that's one thing I don't do. But like, and you know, you never know what that is smart. I guess as they say, the dream is free, but the hustle sold separately. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Yeah. So kind of going back to that education, um, I would love to know what is one piece of advice that you'd like to give clients? Oh, piece of advice to give clients. The biggest thing is, ask questions and communicate. 
ask what and do a lot of that research with your veterinarian on the back end prior to getting pets. One of the things that I would love to, I got so many things I want to do in life, <laughs> but it's just finding time. Uh, I would love to do, my friend and I are, are creating this deal um, called the Amazing Pet Parent. I get so many calls. I don't know if you guys remember a video I did call uh, 79.99. And it was, if you call me with any question about your dog or your cat before you go to the veterinarian, it's 79.99. Simple read. I can't tell y'all how many people actually paid me $79.99. Friends and black friends, right? 90% of them are black friends that call. I get this. I, I will do it. There are people that I don't even like that are some of my, my close counterparts that are black friends, but they got dogs and I have to take care of their dogs. I'm like, man, and I give them so much grief, right? So I think the educational aspect of it, you know, try to get as much research, find credible knowledge. And again, that goes back to what we need to do as veterinary professionals is to make sure that we are putting information out there. And this newer generation, like I tell them, like technology is at your hands. Like you should be putting those blogs out there. You should be putting those TikToks and social media. Don't let somebody who has nothing to do with veterinary medicine put this information out there. So on the back end, I would love for clients and owners to find reputable information from veterinary technicians or veterinary professionals before they do things that they see on social or other information from other places like Dr. Google. So how do we get clients to believe us over bad information, over breeders and over people that, you know, I, I find that a lot of my time is spent saying, you know, I, I, I'm the one with the degree in veterinary medicine, but I'm arguing with um, a puppy, a dog breeder about nutrition and things like that. So, you know, I feel like in 20 years of experience for me, it's not that I'm not giving clients the information, but I'm competing with the breeder and Dr. Google. How do we differentiate our information? I mean, you think that the degree on the wall would differentiate it. Okay. But how do we as professionals differentiate the value in the scientific research that we're giving them versus what, mm -hmm. what their breeders are giving them and what Dr. Google's giving them. Communication and transparency and allowing them to have, to get that information out and have empathy, right? You, and you got to work with those folks. You got to start, you can't start with the pet owner sometime. You got to start with the breeders. All right. Getting them on the same page. They're going to have different logistics. You have to show them the research. You have to have that conversation. Some of you have to cut your ties and make your boundaries with, right? Even with some of my friends, they'll, a lot of times, how many times do people come to clinic? And it's funny, I was going to make a video today. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I was like, how many times do clients come in, pay for information, and then disagree with it, and then leave and make a bad review, right? So you have to set boundaries for yourself and understand that you've gone through all the clinical effort. You, you've done these things to learn, right? So it starts with communicating with these breeders. And again, social media is so powerful right now. And when you do these TikToks, you may have to do a TikTok with the breed where you under uh, explain. I have a whole rap sheet where I talk about raw diets all the time. I talk about raw diets all the time. And it's not, and I make it clear because it's a very touchy situation, right? It's not that raw diets are bad. So many risks are associated with raw diets. Now, if you want to do raw diets right, and I do it to my friends all the time, I give them the web website. I'm like, hey, you want to do the raw diets right way? Because there are a lot of supplements you got to put in, X, Y, and Z, vitamins, boom, boom, boom. When I give them, they always call back, dude, that's like $170 a day. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. If you would like to go ahead and do that, I'm, I'm with you. Go raw diet out if you got that kind of money. But for me, $37.50 kibble that does the same thing kind of works better for my pockets and my kids won't get salmonella.
that's just me. So again, it's that putting that information out and kind of, again, how do you give it to them, right? I try to give it to my friends. I know a lot of my people receive it in a funny manner. They're like, all right, bro, all right, that was funny, but I get you. They learn from a laughter plus an educational component of it. So I think that's why I try to do the skin and go live part of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's also a part of this is that there are some people that are just not going to listen to you no matter what you say. They're looking for the cheapest. They're looking for you <laughs> to validate what they think. So, you know, uh, for example, I saw the other day on a community Facebook group that uh, Pet had been bitten by a copperhead. And a lot of people were recommending that they take the dog to the vet. And the guy was like, nope, this is like the third time he's been bit. And, you know, we're just going to suck it up. And people were like, your dog is in a lot of pain. Like you need to take your dog to the, at the very least, like you need to be managing the dog's pain if, uh, you know, whatever. And it, you know, at the end of the day, he was not having any of that. And I think, you know, there are just going to be some people that, they want people to validate what they already think is the right answer, like coconut oil or whatever kind of bullshit they're doing. Um, and they're just not going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it too, is that, you know, when we talked about this in uh, one of the grain free episodes where we were talking about, you know, the misinformation and, and I really love what Dr. Caitlin said, where she explained, you know, I give clients different options. You know, I don't tell them, you know, oh, you have to feed Purina or you have to feed this. It's just, you know, here, here's the information from an, you know, unbiased source. Here's the, here's the research behind it. Uh, Here are the websites to go see for yourself, compare these diets online and see, you know, what the manufacturer is like versus, you know, these people who are making food at home and then let them decide because they're going to decide anyway. And we can't, you know, we can't, really, we can do what we can to try to educate them. Um, but at the end of the day, they're going to do what they're going to do. So absolutely. Absolutely. I think also like, <laughs> it's funny, but again, I'm loving this because this is real talk unleashed, like being able to get that information out to a certain group of people, you got to be able to do it differently. Right. Again, I made a video, like, you know, how I would say something to, you know, my, my Northerner clients in Atlanta, which is generally the suburban area versus my South DeKalb folks, you know what I mean? Like you just got to verbalize things differently. And I think that's one thing that we all got to realize is like, you might not be able to tell a white person like this and a white person not be able to tell a black person like this. So I think we also got to be okay with that. Like I'm clearly okay with somebody. I'm like, hey, Walter, you know, we got a black owner in the room in there and you know, I feel, gotcha, bro. Say no more. I'm gonna go in here and knock this out. You know, cause I would rather that dog get what it needs than Again, know your audience and know how to verbalize these things to to, to different people. But because again, like you want to make sure the overall good is for the patient, right? And the animal. So I would rather be able to sell that information to the person that I need to versus them thinking some skeptical. I don't know if you have to deal with a lot, Tasha, but, and again, 3% of veterinarian medicine, right? Are, are African-Americans. My friends will go to the vet, get the information, call me, step outside. Hey, the vet said, blah, 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 blah. Is that true? Or it costs this X, Y, and Z, that sound? I'm like, yeah, that's, they, they doing it. They, yeah. All the time. All the time. <laughs> it happens because like, and and they will pay you. Right. They often pay me. They were like, dude, I, all right, cool. I'm seeing like a hundred bucks. I know I, I'm messing with your time or whatnot, but they would rather pay for a peace of mind knowing that they are getting accurate information and not being bought over 
for sure. To, to that. So I, it's fun. I was like, do you have to deal with that, Tasha? Absolutely. I mean, I think sometimes it's just meeting people where they are. And so people are more comfortable if, like you said, I mean, the way that I talk to, you know, my African-American clients, it's di- I mean, it's different because like I had a client the other day, she saw me and she hugged me. I have never met this woman a day in my life. The technician looked at me like I had two heads and she goes, do you know this client? And I said, no, she's happy to see an African-American veterinarian, someone that she feels like she can be open with and not be judged, you know, with her dog and that sort of thing. So, you know, I mean, it's, I I get it. And so it's, you know, it's along the lines of representation matters because people are more comfortable talking to me about their pet um, if they're African-American and, you know, and some people it doesn't matter, but there are certain people that it does matter to. And so helping to bridge that gap. I mean, her dog is very fearful and she felt like she was being judged because he was fearful. But I'm like, man, there's a lot of people with fearful dogs out here. <laughs> but she felt like I understood her better and her dog better. Um, and then another doctor on our team prescribed trazodone and gabapentin. Well, damn, if she didn't message me to say this was an OK dose, but she just needed the validation that, you know, I had built that connection with her and she just wanted to make sure that I agreed with with that with that doctor. So no, I, I totally get that. And that's why it's important for us to have diversity in this profession, because one of the podcasts that we did talked about like underrepresented communities and how there's a disconnect because we aren't always able to meet people where they are as far as finances, as far as just the education part and them not being feeling like they're being judged because, you know, like you said, growing up cockfighting was a thing. I mean, I grew up in the country in the yep. South it wasn't, to me, it didn't seem abnormal to see cockfighting. And so, you know, you have to kind of, when you get to a different environment, you're like, oh, we not that, that's not a thing here. Right. And so some of it's just the cultural differences where things are, are more acceptable and just understanding that people are only going off of their experiences. Well, let me ask you guys this question since, you know, and again, uh, I, I, real talk unleashed. So I'm gonna throw this at Caitlin and Michelle, um, being a Tasha and I are, typically not in the minority of these folks. Like when we talk about events like that, right? What about hog hunting? When they use these like hog dogs and it's like seven or eight dogs on this one, you can literally televise that. But it's not, the minority is not black people that are doing it. But I feel like it's almost just as bad, right? Like you got seven dogs on one helpless animal try and i get it and these and people like well they eating them for food i'm from the south they ain't eating them hogs trust me it's the worst grossest meat you could ever have in your life so like how do how does that play a part or does that even fit in that category so um i lived in west virginia for a short amount of time and uh i i started working at a practice there and i was very excited to see that they practice high quality medicine like they had a a ct machine and you know they do blood work for all of their surgeries because it's a very rural area in, in west virginia and so i was just surprised to see that but it was my first experience with um people who use dogs for bear hunting and um it was disturbing to me because the dogs would come in after tangling with a bear and just would be shredded to pieces. And the clients would base their decisions on whether they would pay for, you know, repairs and surgery and treatment on whether that dog was going to have another hunting season or not. And 
I felt like it was very brutal and I really did not enjoy that. And every time I saw a bear hunting truck around, it just gave me this like sick feeling in my stomach, not just for the dogs. I mean, the, so the dogs are bred. They want to do this. They, they are hunting. They don't know any better. You know, they're, they're chasing these animals, they're getting injured and they're, they're running on this adrenaline. Um, and so they're like, well, you know, the dogs love to do this but that doesn't mean that you put them in a bad situation. Like, you know, somebody else's Weimaraner might like to chase cars, but you're not going to let them do that because it's a dangerous thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like that. I don't, I, it makes me sad for both the bear and the dogs. Yeah. I'm in South Carolina. Same deal with the bear dogs. Same deal. So, you know, I guess it's like, even like horse racing and greyhound racing and, you know, the elephant in the room is that there are certain crimes that are culturally, you know, in the black community, there tends to be dog fighting and cock fighting. And so those crimes are, those are going to be punished more as animal abuse. I mean, it's some of the worst abuse I've ever seen is on racetracks. I mean, those horses are euthanized. I mean, what's the one racetrack? They just had to euthanize like a whole crap load of horses. Right. And so, you know, and so some, some of that, I, one of the um, ways that I saw the disparity in racial inequality was when I worked at the animal shelter, how they, um, I finally stopped testifying for animal abuse cases because they literally were only charging brown people with crimes. Mm. Um, a white person would come into the shelter with a worse offense to an animal and they would say, well, you know, they're trying, they're here trying to turn the animal in. And so, I mean, you know, a, a lot of this just goes, you know, like you talk about the bear fighting versus cock fighting. I mean, what, which are those are, are worse? I mean, they're, to me, they're equally as heinous, but because of the disparity of, you know, how these things are looked at as you know, if it's happening in a minority community, it's going to get more attention and more of a penalty than, you know, it's not even a crime to horse race. And those are some of the most abused animals and dogs on racetracks. So, you know, those are just some of the things that we have to like bring light to and say, Hey, you know, this is happening in our communities, but just like you're bear fighting or a hog, you know, chasing the hogs, this is still animal abuse, no matter how you look at it. And it should have the same penalties. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, I mean, it's a little bit different, but the, how, I guess they, they view it as a sport, which I think is absurd. Um, but it reminds me of all the old white dudes who go and, you know, they go into these enclosures and they pretend to hunt these wild animals. And then they're sitting there with their, with the dead animal. I just remember the one picture of the guy laying there naked next to a dead animal. Like it was some sort of like, I don't know. It's, it's disgusting to me, but it, it is very clear the disparity in, in how that's looked at and how that's treated because they view it as, Oh, it's a sport. We're doing this, you know, it's a, it's an activity and, and it's okay for them to do it. I think it's just absurd. Yeah, I, I agree. Totally agree. I could, talk about you know hunting and the culture of hunting and all of that all day and uh you know it's it I don't know that it's uh necessarily on topic but I think that it definitely you know pairs along with how some th things are viewed in a specific way because of uh systemic racism and how some things are viewed in another way because it's their culture um so yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I, I love. I give my my wife grief. She's a horse person all the time, and I'm like, yeah. I was like, it just dawned on me one day. I was like, y'all call inbreeding line breeding. It's okay to line breed, but inbreeding that's a whole another problem. 
you know, it's like, I, it's, it's funny society, the world we live in, you know? So, and it goes to the point of like, and I think being in social media world, um, and you know, the, the bigger the microscope gets, you know, on social media folks, whatnot, of what I've learned, the more you are scrutinized about any little thing, right? Any, any walk, you got a peach shirt on. That's like, it's, it, you know, it's, it's crazy how they scrutinize so many things. So I think that's when you, again, have to realize as veterinary professionals, even with pet owners and whatnot, we got to set boundaries. We got to set boundaries and we got to know that like, you know, this is that profession that we are in. And we can't allow ourselves to like let these boundaries be separated because that's when we get, you know, the not one more vet and a lot of other problems in our profession. So there's nothing wrong with a pink shirt if you mix it with a little green. Yeah. Uh, oh, so <laughs> Tasha, carry on, carry me. on. <laughs> uh, you got. Is it too a early? Is it too early? Nicole as well. Nicole's an AK as well. Did you know that? Yes, I know Nicole's awesome. Nick. Awesome. So, awesome. so Caitlin and Michelle, what's happening right now? Again, <laughs> oh, they know. Them. They know all too you well. Have to do this? Okay. Oh, yeah. yes. Absolutely. They do. <laughs> Dr. French, you know, she's a Zeta. So, you know, I oh. told her I'm, you know, the first and finest. So we 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 let her tag along. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, this is that's a whole nother podcast for another day because whole you know, nother podcast. WIs and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Gotta love it. You know, it was one of those just a funny quick deal. Like it was it was a cultural shock to me when I got to Georgia, right? That you know, I was in uh, uh uh in a HBCU or whatnot, or at HBCU. And so our like fraternity life is for life, right? Same, yeah. You, know, you don't do it, it's not for life really in the PWIs. So sure. it was just a whole culture like rush. Right. And getting the bid and these buses and these these guys walking around in like fisherman shirts and 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 going into <laughs> these houses and I'm like this is a whole new experience of how like we do it all different. This is not how we did it, but that's sure cool. Like there's awesome. a thousand people out here. So but yeah, culture man. You gotta love culture man. And again, absolutely people and their pets because you get to meet different people from all walks of life and and again that's what we got to do as veterinary professionals just take some time to like learn about your client or whatnot you never know i love the little old lady with the little dog i'm like send me in that room she got a great story please send me in there so again loving people man this is what it's all about i love that uh so speaking about your shirt i see you're wearing your vet tech respect shirt and that is an excellent segue for my next question which is yeah. uh I really love seeing you highlight CVTs and LVTs as well as vet students on your social media. So what are your thoughts about how veterinary medicine needs to evolve to improve the life for technicians? You know, um, oh, Michelle, that's a, a loaded question right there for me. Um, and that goes back to the microscope getting bigger. I've met, first of all, I want to say like, I, I, I definitely um, in line with, you know, making sure credentialing and that we get the respect that we need or whatnot. I think it's just so blurry right now because we need someone to take charge and say, this is what we are going to do, right? Everybody is like, huh, hot potato. I don't want that problem. I don't want that problem. AVMA don't want that problem. NAFTA don't want that problem. As, you know, all these different places don't want these problems. And it becomes a problem for us as veterinary technicians because we have to work on the veterinarians. So until a veterinarian, honestly, guys, we can have all the top veterinary technicians, myself, Ken Yagi's, 
all these different people making all these different motions, but until a veterinary medicine community gets together as a conglomerate and say, this is what we need to do as there's no voting about it. This is it. AVMA. And I say it's AVMA. AVMA just needs to say, this is what we're going to do, guys. We're not going to take this to 50 states to figure out what. No, we're not doing that. This is what we need to do. Because if you allow these different bodies in veterinary in different states to do different things, they're going to find loopholes, right? Florida is a, I give Florida the biggest example. The FVMA and the FVTAA have been at odds for 30 years, 30 years. You can be credentialed through the FVMA as a veterinary technician or the FVTAA. The FVMA says you can use this loophole. You don't have to go to school, X, Y, and Z. FVTAA says you need to go to school, okay? So they have these different loopholes that they jump through. <clears throat> They've been at odds for so many years that they let the state of Florida actually pull the rug right up on, from under them. So you know what they said? They were like, hey, tell you what, why y'all arguing and y'all can't get y'all life together and actually pay people what they need to pay? What we're going to do is we're going to defund some programs because we need to save some money in Florida. Who can we defund that's not making $51,000 as a profession? Bingo, veterinary technicians. So now they are not funding any veterinary technology programs in Florida. Therefore, my um, <clears throat> SPC, which is one of the top colleges, they are trying to hold above water with distant learning program. City College, which is private because, again, we, are, we don't have our stuff together as veterinary technician. They are shutting down. I don't know if that information is out, but it is now. I don't, um, uh, the, the, the uh, unre uh, unleashed real talk. Yes, they are shutting their doors. So many programs are shutting their doors in Florida because we cannot get our stuff together. So I think as far as credentialing and whatnot, it's so painful to argue about it because I know good assistants. I know good technicians here. I know good uncredentialed. It's just so exhausting to continue to fight, 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 fight. So I'm for it. But one thing that I've done in the last year is pull myself out of a lot of the political fight. You know, I, I don't I don't like politics. And I figure this is a lot of political deal. I don't like the United States politics. And I'd be damned if I'm going to join Batman politics. I'll just be the guy making jokes in the back and doing education. Leave me a part of education and laughter. I don't want no parts of the politics, honestly. You know, I think that the reason that a lot of these organizations are reluctant to take a position and make a change is because, A, they don't want to dictate to veterinarians how they should run their practices. But at the end of the day, if we're advocating for what's in the best interest of the patients, why should why would we not advocate for all of our team members to be educated? You know what I mean? And I know this is a controversial position, and I know that, that you know there are going to probably be some listeners who disagree, but I just feel like there are specific duties that happen in the hospital that should only be done by credentialed technicians. And the reason that is is because there are, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that go into, it's not just about placing an IV catheter, right? Like you can learn how to place an IV catheter without going to tech school. But do you know all of the things that can happen if you go outside the vein? And, you know, do you know all of the, do you, you know, there, there are things that happen with disease processes and things like that when it comes to other, you know, duties that you really should have an education, a, a full background on education before you're doing these things. And and before anybody comes for me, I love on-the-job trained vet assistants. I think that they're great. I don't think that that is a position that will ever go away in veterinary medicine. But if you want to be able to make a living wage, if you want a, to be able to increase the quality of life for veterinary professionals, we need to get to a point where 
there are specific things that are happening with regard to patient care, and those things are being done by licensed professionals. I mean, if you look at you know, human medicine, nobody that interacts with a patient and that has direct patient care responsibilities does that without being licensed. Like you, even CNAs, if you know, you it may not be a, a, a two-year degree to be a CNA, but you have to you have to go to school, you have to pass a test, and you have to be licensed in order to do that. And as a result of that, you're paid higher than somebody who didn't go to school and maybe just maybe a, a, a tech who's like cleaning the rooms and doesn't have direct patient care responsibilities. So please don't come for me because I don't, it's not that I don't think that there's a, a time and place for on the job trained professionals, but at the same time, like if you want to, if you want to make a living wage, we need to figure out a way where we can make uh, the, the tech programs more accessible to people who are, you know, uh, full-time, you know, working full-time and can't take off and become full-time students and, uh, you know, figure out a way to make it more affordable for people who are struggling with being able to afford it. And, you know, the externships for distance learning programs sometimes are really hard. Like we've got an, a vet assistant that works for our team and she's not going to be doing anything in large animals. We live in Northern Virginia. There are very few large animal practices and she's struggling with where she's going to be able to get her externship. So there's definitely some changes that need to happen to make that education more accessible. But I feel like that's the way that we've got to go if we're going to take good care of our uh, support staff. So Michelle, just um, kind of going off of what you said, I mean, I think we're the only profession that has the question of should people be credentialed or not? Would you be okay with a non-credentialed pilot? And you said, oh, he was just trained on the job. Um, he learned from another pilot. That would be totally unacceptable. Nobody would go for that. And first of all, if anybody wants to come for me about this conversation, number one, uh, don't do it. Number two, reconsider. Um, so, you know, the, the, the reality is that we need to have people that are credentialed. There has to be some sort of standard of what is expected and acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, if I have to have a license, the person that's working, that's giving the injections beside me should have to have some accountability as well. And yep. so I think it's time. And so Walter, to kind of go off of what you said, you said you don't want to get into the politics of it, but if not us, then who? And so, you know, you have a platform. And, and so one thing that I've learned, I don't like to always get into the politics of things but what I find is that because I have a platform, I have to use that platform to reach the mm -hmm. people that that need to hear this because we are leaders in the industry. And if and if not us, then who? So don't be afraid to get into a little, poli little bit of politics. Everything we do in life every day, whether it's getting in your car, it's a stoplight there because some politician had to fight for, for that light to be there. So mm. look at it that way. Look at it as mm -hmm. advocacy and not getting into politics. You know because what? I I'll get into the pits with the best of them because <laughs> I, I know it. nobody has a bigger mouth. I might not have a big platform, but I got a big mouth. You know Michelle, what? Facts, right? <laughs> I, I, I love it. You know, and I think that's the thing. Like, that's one thing about Walter. I, 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 you know, and what you say, Tasha, I hear that from like everybody. Like, Walter, you have to. Like, you, like on so many levels of, of every different thing and different aspects, even my fraternity, right? I'm like, they like, they're like, dude, you got to get into the STEM. Like, we adopt this STEM as a new program. They're like, dude, you look what you're doing on social media. You got to be a part of STEM. So, you know, I I, I love it. Um, I love it, Tosh. You, you're right. You're right. And I think what I have to learn to do is actually network and pull the right people in who can have those conversations on the platform. So, again, like Absolutely. doing these different podcasts or coming on these different shows, having a conversation. And, and like you guys said, we are definitely here 
for all of it. And you and y'all already know y'all can come for me. I don't care nothing about coming from y'all or know how I, I get down on Facebook. So I don't I don't care anything about that. So but I definitely agree. Like we definitely have to make sure we are in the fight and make these things happen. The other thing that I I preach in every lecture with veterinary technicians that we have to be walking, talking references in our hospitals, right? The one thing that we have to understand is we have to allow our doctors to trust us, right? And that comes through doing the simple things. My wife has come home stressed more than a number of times working in a specialty hospital about simple things that get missed or not done. And it's like, how can I trust them to do different things if they can't do the simple things, right? Like I got asked a question the other day. She was like, do you know off the top of your head, how much dextrose goes in a, in a, in a one liter bag to make it two and a half percent. I was like, yeah, 50% of 50% dextrose. She was like, okay. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, this bag must be, she was like, somebody put 12 and a half meals into a half liter bag and thought it was two and a half percent. That's one point. And that dog been running on that all day. And that's why the, you know, so it's things like that, right? That when somebody else has to catch that and then she gets a call over you know, past her shift, like, because she shouldn't have to go and look at the fluid bag, right? And see that this is this on it. So we have to, veterinary technicians, do our part in order to allow these doctors to trust us. Me, I tell them every time, drop nuggets on them, drop bombs on them every time. When doctors ask questions, I I walk by with the answer, bam. Or if, if something ain't right about a, a, a order or something, I might go by and just ask gently, you know, about X, Y, and Z. Or like they shouldn't ask. Like when my doctor says they should have to go to Walter, what's what we what we what we do in Batral at 10 minutes per kid or five minutes per kid. I mean, whatever you want, it's kind of however you want to do it, but whatever you do, dilute it one to five and give it over three minutes. How about that? You know, so it's stuff like that you want to tell a doc. You know, being able to do that, we gotta be able to do that as veterinary technicians. And unfortunately, it's only a small amount of us that are elite enough to be leaders. And we got to start educating, 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 and going to these CEs and learning that because the doctors will not trust us if we make simple mistakes and can't do simple things, right? And that's when they get to the point of my license is on the line. That's when that gets said right there. And I hate that, but you can't argue with them when you do that. So technicians, I say all the time, stop saying what you can do and tell the doctors what you can't do. Because if you ask us, we can do everything. We don't never say what we can't do. So uh, I, I definitely understand uh, uh we definitely need to be moving in the direction of credentialing but we got to prove to ourselves that we can be trusted and actually live and hold that license um as technicians yeah because when it's my license i'm i'm definitely going to check you especially mm -hmm. if i you know i mean whether you feel some kind of way or not i mean i put a lot of blood sweat and tears into the, to getting this degree i'm not going to let you fuck it up i'm sorry you know as my kids would say no cap <laughs> Hey, and that's the thing. Oh God! Uh, every and every veterinarian right now who is hearing that they are shaking their head. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And technicians, we got to eat that because once the once the once the mistake happens, I'm the one having to call the owner, explaining to them mm -hmm. why your pet's dead. You know, and I mean those are not fun conversations to have. Where's the technician at that time? They're in the back listening, <laughs> seeing what you say. Oh, they have they clocking up. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, they they taking a smoke break. You're like, well, damn. <laughs> You know, so, but just one other thing to go back to, we were talking about being leaders in our profession. I mean, one of the things that I always remember is to whom much is given, much is expected. And so we have been very blessed 
to be able to have these platforms and be able to have the knowledge and the training. And so it does put more burden on us, Walter. Like I get it. People ask me if I sleep, I do sleep occasionally. It's, you know, um, but we, we definitely have to take the lead in, in tra transforming this profession to what we know it can be. Because right now I know it's a dumpster fire and we got some work to do. It's just so big. People are just dicks and you have to be able, I, I'm like my grand. My grandmother tell me all the time, baby, there is no such thing as bullying over 30 years old. Custom folks out and go on about your damn business. Ain't like, and I can't do that on social media. I can't. I got a bigger, I really be wanting to just custom folks out and, and tell them about themselves and go on about my business. But I have to be a better person and I have to be social because the one moment I say what I'm going to say, oh, Council Walter. Let's cancel. Sometimes you got to choose violence, though. I mean, <laughs> or you make yeah. a, a another profile with not your name and argue with them on that one. <laughs> Tell like them to go fuck paper. themselves. Listen, I mean, the other thing that I want to kind of touch on is, you know, going back to a little bit about what Michelle said about, you know, credentialing and and being able to be paid more. Who is who do we think is benefiting from this? disparity between unlicensed and licensed techs, right? Who Who is benefiting from that pay uh, gap? It's these giant corporations. It's the, it's the employers who are able to pay less. And so while we're here arguing with each other about who can't do this and you can't do that and, you know, pointing the blame at each other, we're not focusing on who's benefiting from, from the system and, and who's keeping the system in place and fighting to keep that system in place. So I think that, you know, we need to, like, like Michelle said, make the education more accessible, but also focus on, mm -hmm. you know, being empowered to, to do those things for ourselves because, you know, they're, you're not, they're not going to, you know, pay you more unless they have to. So we need to realize that we have the power in this situation. Absolutely. So, so speaking of that, Kay, I know we, there's been a lot of talk about the, um, the veterinary physician's assistant. And I also saw, um, where there's talk of corporations are now wanting to have it so that licensed technicians can do in-home euthanasias if the doctor orders it. So what are your thoughts about that? Like physician's assistant position? Personally, um, again, I think it's just so many blurred lines, right? I think our first example of why this would be a problem without what we like to do. We like to put the, the, what it is, the cart before the horse in veterinary medicine. We thought being, we thought the VTS profession would be a great idea, you know, but we created this, this, this upper level cert certification without actually giving them a job title. Like, I don't know. I, I, there was nothing I did differently as a VTS besides pay a lot of money and take a hard test that wrecked my brain. I did it because I wanted to prove to myself that I was the best version of myself in emergency and critical care, not for any money or whatnot. Now did perks come along with it being a speaker and X, Y, and Z? Yes. <clears throat> but as far as in the hospital, and that's the other part with VTSs. And, and I say it, and a lot of them are mean, a lot of them mean as hell. Um, because they got so much training and so much learning that they hit a ceiling. So they got nothing to do besides argue with people about 0 0.09 being a lot different than 0.1. I don't have time for that. I'm not that typical VTS. So a lot of times they don't like me. A lot of VTSs don't like me because I'm not that typical um, being the, in, in there and, and, and holier than thou and X, Y, and Z. So a lot of times that's what we've done. We've created a profession that have given them no, they do nothing in the hospital, right? 
I would guess if I had to guess more than half of the VTS that are VTS is probably don't work in the hospital. They've gotten off the floor. That's their retirement job. They're working in support centers like myself, educational aspects. That's what most of them are trying to do. And that's what a lot of them are thinking that that's the thing to do. It's my, my retirement time now. Like, let me get out of the profession now when we should actually be creating jobs to keep them in the profession to be those assistants at, in, at home, like euthanasia folks or whatnot. It's interesting that you asked that question, Tasha, because here's what I asked. Um, I had a thought. I was like, what if you had home health care uh, technicians, right? Where that owner that needs a recheck, right? And, and it could be a simple recheck where we do a CBC or whatnot. We got these point of care machines. You send your technician out to get the the, the blood, do all that stuff in-house. It gives them a chance to be outside of the clinic and inside of the clinic. That's what we, we don't want to be in the clinic all day. We get to interact with clients, get personal. You send two texts in the van. I thought it would be a great idea, right? So I pitched this idea to a veterinarian, a few veterinarians, right? Especially those are in specialty medicine. Because how many times does the client come in and is like, oh, yep, blood work look good. Keep doing what you do. And they didn't drove 10 miles when you could actually get that at home and video X, Y, and Z, send it over to the computer, phone chat it, X, Y, and Z. Do you know what I got from more than probably about 80% of the specialists that would cut into my commission more than half of them more than half that's a commission thing when they come in and 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 and, and this is the thing that veterinarians they don't want to hear this part of it right here because it, because if you tell the client that that's putting this information out let's go back to that first when I first talked about different things you putting that information out but we're not being transparent we ain't being transparent, but we don't want to give that information out because that cuts into our money. So does it, it's it's a line you got to double dutch, right? So I think that's the thing about it. More than half of them, I thought it was a great idea. It gives you a time to be out of the clinic, in the clinic, X, Y, and Z. More than half, that would cut into commission. Take somebody out of the vet clinic. Yeah, I think that that is, you know, the elephant in the room that we've mentioned before where, you know, uh, there, there are people that say, well, you know, I don't, I don't get paid by uh, the food companies to make specific recommendations and that sort of thing. But in some practices you are, you know, there are some practices where you are paid uh, commission on the diets that you recommend it, diets that you recommend, or you are paid commission on the services that you're ordering. I think the problem is that there, that information, like you said, it's not transparent. There's not transparency when it comes to the pet parents. And so they have this assumption that if you're, you know, if you're paid on commission, then you're only going to make recommendations that are not in the pet's best interest, which is, you know, no veterinarian really is going to do that. You know, they're not going to recommend a bunch of stuff that's not necessary if the if the pet doesn't need that just because they're trying to get more money. That's I mean, that's not who we are as veterinary professionals. Right. But not being honest and upfront about how some of this stuff is done behind the scenes is causing some of that distrust from the public and from clients. So another elephant in the room is how corporations are kind of forcing veterinarians to be commission driven. So when you work for a corporation, I mean, I, I have a friend that works for a very big emergency group um, who I won't name, but she messaged me last night to say, gosh, what I thought I was going to be paid based on my commission. And I mean, this is a person who she got into this profession because she loves the profession. And last night she was so in the details about her salary and how the commission worked and da, 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 da. So I think another part of the conversation is um, addressing how corporations make us look at 
commission. And so for me, if the patient coming into the clinic is going to be more commission that helps me meet that number. So I don't have negative accrual. I mean, you know, it's, it's a really tough sell. Absolutely. So, so maybe we need to figure out how the veterinarian, if they're in charge of that case, they can still get the commission because they still are doing the work, have that licensed technician go out and see the appointment. But I think we're putting again, like Caitlin said, we're putting the blame in the wrong place. Like while we're fighting amongst ourselves, they're secure in the bag, these corporations, well, when ultimately as veterinarians, we just want to be able to literally pay our bills, drive our, you know, 20 year old car, put some gas in it. And, you know, but they make us focus on the numbers because that's all they give a shit about. And so right. they're literally creating monsters with us because they're, they're the only metric is you know, how much money are you bringing in? So yeah, that might be a great idea to that veterinarian. And I, but I can understand why they would come at you that way, because ultimately they're just trying to earn their keep and pay their $300,000 in student loans. So, you know, I, I mean, they're, they're not doing anything that's harmful to the patient, but they're also trying to protect their interest. And I, you know, I, I see it both ways. I see your frustration with like, Hey, we could do this better, better for the patient. But they're like, Walter, for real, Like we really need to right. make our commission because if not, fill in the blank of the corporation is going to be telling us we're not a good doctor. Right. And and it's so, and it's funny and amazing that you say that because again, I see that all the time. And what we do is they push it. And what we're, we're doing now is pushing it. And again, not naming any corporation, but everyone, they start to push it on the technicians as a way to say, this is how we can make them make more money, right? Uh, we're going to do this incentive program through the corporation if we can sell this many heart guard or sell this many so they say how we, they come in do lunch and learns with the technicians and try to you know give them advice on how to sell more of this product or x y and z understand them and as technicians guess what a lot of them like hell yeah i need to make some more money i'm gonna do it how much y'all talking you know because that is what's happening now if you would satisfy them as a profession you wouldn't they wouldn't chase the bag every time because they know What's what, right? They've got that reward, recognition, and belonging with inside of the hospital. So somebody asked me, they when I, I mentioned this, they were like, well, Walter, what would what would you recommend? <clears throat> First of all, there are a couple of things. I, well, I don't even want to go down. I'm always about a hustle, right? In order for you to have money from anybody, you got to have multiple streams of income. And one thing as a veterinary technician, right? You know what your job profession is. You know what ceiling and what pay cap you're going to hit. So understand that if you want to go higher than that, go be a veterinarian. Right. So you got to understand what a ceiling is. Everybody's like, well, VTS, X, Y, and Z. And they have one state is already like doing the whole VTS deal. And it's a problem because they like VTS is like, I want 80,000 or better. Some veterinarians out there who can barely get to 80,000. So you think they're going to be like, uh, yeah, let's do that. So again, you got to have these multiple streams of income. I tell technicians all the time. So every doctor always asks, well, what could I do to, to, to help my technicians make more money. Every technician almost has another hustle and they are damn good at it too. Soap makers. You know how many goat soap folks I know? Soap makers, eggs, um, these little tumbler cups, t-shirts, earrings, uh, cakes, cupcakes. Set up a table in your clinic for them folks to bring their hustles in. You got a multiple doctor hospital. I had to tell my wife, don't buy nothing else off that damn table. Don't, don't bring nothing else she made good earrings though. Yeah. And, and you have fun to her enough this month. Trust me. Cause they need $10 a pop. 
I know I seen her make it work. She spent about a dollar and twenty, but I ain't knocking her hustle, right? I seen her making these on the clock and put them on the table before she left their shift. And here you go paying twelve dollars. So I love it. I absolutely love it. So help them on that end versus driving them a number on the back end, right? People like, well, what if we can give them commission in a hospital or they get basically commissioned in a hospital or working with a doctor? What about that lazy ass doctor I got to work with that day who don't do nothing? Man, I'm trying to make some money to get off your ass. You know what I mean? So like, that's not what we, sound good, right? But that's not what we want to ultimately happen because it's going to be about the money, 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 money. Hey, you sold me, look, I can hear owner right now. You need heart, hey, I just came here last week. You sold me heart guard for six months. And here you go trying to sell me another six months supply. It's just next week. You know what I mean? So that's what the hell's going to happen if we get there. Allow them to do other hustles. Support them on the back end doing other things. And that's why I say it every time, get a damn hustle. I know this one girl right now, she loved dead bodies. I, I mean, let me go back and say this. Anim dead animal bodies, people. Animal bodies. So guess what her deal is now? She gets these bodies has these flesh-eating beetles, they eat the rest of the body, and she loves making those anatomy things with the real, you know, the ones we used to have in class, whereas like these, she got them all, and people love them. Like, she made a squirrel, she made a possum, I was like, I didn't even know, like, girl, like, I didn't even know they had these kind of bones, you know, she's like, yeah, it took me like a month to put it together, you know, but people buy them, schools buy them for anatomy classes or whatnot, have a hustle. Think outside the box in order to get what you need. And that's, and I think that's my biggest thing. But yeah, there's a lot of pushing of corporations for sure. But learning how to support your technicians other than having them driving the numbers from different folks with inside of veterinary medicine is a great way to kind of increase overall well-being in the clinic for technicians. So kind of going into the future of vet med, I love that you use your platform to highlight the issues uh, using humor and by, you know, being lighthearted. And I would love to know what your hopes are for the future of Batman. Um, Hopes for the future. Um, one of the biggest talks I kind of give is, is that we got to stop looking at this as a marathon because we're going to grow tired uh, as marathon runners. Um, we got to realize in veterinary medicine, that this is a, a relay race. You got to run the best leg of your race while you win this thing. And you got to do what you got to do as a professional to pass the baton. So that's why I try to tell technicians all the time. Like, you know, I'm getting old, my hair getting gray, going bald. I ain't going to be able to TikTok it forever. I ain't going to be able to Facebook it forever. But I want to give somebody else the formula and support them. Like, take this reign, man. Like, you see what you can do with Facebook vet, man? Like, take it. So like people like Sarah Parsons. Um, I was loving vet tech PJ and, and that crew. Like, so all these different social media people, people younger than me, people don't understand I'm 40 years old. I was almost over with for me. I'm ready to ride my Harley and, and, and do nothing. So, um, but I want to be able to pass that baton. I think what we got to realize, even if it's from an educational aspect, a mentorship aspect, whatever it may be, be nice to people and pass the baton to someone younger than you so that they can be able to, you know, make the profession better. I suspect that I might we might be dead and gone before they 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 actually recognize the profession as veterinary technicians. And we got to be okay with that. We just got to know that we've done what we've had to do in this race and stop trying to run a marathon forever because we we're not gonna do it. We're just not gonna do it. So be able to run the best leg of your race, pass that baton on to a, to somebody in veterinary medicine so that they can kind of take that reins and kind of cheer them on as they continue to run that race for us in in, in credentialing and in veterinary medicine um, as a whole. 
I love that. And I think that that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is, you know, your role as a vet tech liaison with United Vet Care. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you do there. Oh, man. Um, I love, uh, first of all, I love, shout out to my United Veterinary Care family. Love that crew of folks. Um, when I start, when I joined that company, it's first, my first, um, like, off the floor job. And with that company, um, I was amazed to find out, like, um, it's a company that's run um, by veterinarians. Um, so uh, I love the fact that it's veterinarian. A lot of people are like, where is United Veterinary Care? Um, we don't put our names on the doors of, of places. We're more of a resource um, acquisition company type of deal. So we provide a lot of resources for our folks. We kind of let them do their own thing, but wherever we can help um, on the back end. And one of the biggest departments in our um, company um, is filled with veterinary technicians, our learning and development department and our liaison. So I'm the only one in my team. And what I actually do is I go out to help, again, put these externships in position for students that are in different schools. Again, we have to graduate from different programs or whatnot. So what I typically do is help um, put these students in their externship position. Different schools go out, do lunch and learns, talk to them about the profession, and just kind of interact with the students as we kind of pipeline these students in. Um, our learning and development department, I'm so grateful to work with them. Um, it's about maybe 11 veterinary technicians. Um, I want to say seven of them, six of them are VTS. So um, they provide a lot of education for our hospitals internally uh, or whatnot, um, from VTS mentor all the way to our Purdue affiliation that we have for, for students that have been assistants and want to go to, to tech school or whatnot. So we have an affiliation with Purdue. Um, so again, being a liaison, um, I couldn't even spell it at first. I was like, how do you even spell liaison? Um, but um, I love it. I love working with the team and actually being that martyr for the cause. Actually, again, pipelining these students in from different externship opportunities into our hospital. Hopefully, they would. Uh, we're doing what we're supposed to do, and they would love that hospital so that they uh, could work there in the future. So, what's been your biggest accomplishment in that position? Um, biggest accomplishment? Um, it was hard at first. Um, because I'm I'm so used to like uh, instant gratification. You put a catheter in, you get the blood. Yes. Um, you you get a dog out of hypoglycemia. Yes, or whatever it is. Um, this is more of a long term deal. So I have to like connect the hospital. I'm gonna have to connect with the school. Connect with the school. Get the student into the hospital. Get the hospital. And I'm just starting to get these gratification because we just kind of started these externship opportunities. But finally, going to a pinning ceremony where I've had two students that I've probably never met before besides sourcing them online and kind of chatting with them via email and maybe a live or two, but to actually see them graduate, work at a hospital and be like excellent technicians and, and getting that information from the staff, like, dude, this is one of the best, best externs we've had, you know? Um, so again, actually seeing that, that value on the back end, even though it's a long-term investment, but actually seeing these students that you've met via just an email of, of, hey, I want to be an extern at that hospital and actually meeting them in real life and actually seeing them. And I think overall, um, speaking at one of the ceremonies and then meeting their parents, their parents are like, I don't even know who this guy even is. You know what I mean? And then they're like, dude, I love what you said at this ceremony. Like, it, how do you know my daughter? <laughs> you know, it always happens that way. Like, how do you know my daughter? And I'm like, now they go through the whole like externship and then they're like, well, mom, he was my, it's just, I'll explain it and then we get in the car. That's usually the conversation. So uh, gotta love it. That's hilarious. Um, I would love to know, this is not on the list of questions that we sent to you, but I considered added, adding it. Um, Absolutely. Why do you, why do you hate doodles so much? I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you, but I want to know why. <laughs> Let me tell you why I don't like to do Okay. I'm going to tell you why. Because it's disrespectful to the, to the, 
miniature poodles. You know, the miniature poodles have been around for years, breeding with all kind of other little small dogs, multi poos, poos, shit poos, and nobody went going crazy like they were about their big cousin. So now it's the fact that all of a sudden a standard poodle and a damn lab got together and made this monstrosity. It's let's pay thousands for it. And you could have got you a little miniature version of the same damn dog for $300, $400 from, you know, wherever it may be. So it's just a crazy. And I'm going to tell you why, why. See, you got me on this soapbox and shit. And then my black community people um, then got into this dumb shit. And I'm like, what are you doing? My frat brother, dude, don't call me, dog. I see, I went over that other day. I said, dog, I should take a picture of this, but I don't want them folks on Facebook to drag you. I know he need to be groomed. Did nobody tell me I had to groom a doodle? The hell like some uh, uh one man, I ain't have to groom a pit bulls. You should have got a pit bull. It was easier and cheaper to maintain, bro. So, like, that's my thing. Is like we go crazy and, and people like every 90s sitcom, it was good parents that good jobs and then crackhead son. That's what doodles are. Ain't nothing good about none of them. That's what the doodle come from great parents, come from standard poodle, great Labrador. They just created a crackhead son. And like people continue to breed crackheads and crackheads together. And now we got F2 crackheads and F1 crackheads. And it's just like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sorry, guys. I had to. I'm sorry, Michelle. No, sorry. that is hilarious. We're dying oh. right now. Sorry. I think we need to coin that term F2 crackhead. I think that needs to be a t-shirt for I'm real. Like, they just... <laughs> Yeah, and it just, I was okay until that oh. spilled over into the black community. I'm like, oh, hell no. Right, because you know, black people don't pay for, we're not going to pay for a dog. The fact that we paying for oh. dogs, you know, is something. <laughs> and then was mad when they took him to the groomer and they shaved him off. Dog, they charged me $160 to make him look like this. Yes, because you didn't take care of his ass. Yes. Oh, I hate uh. the like, Just get your... Get you a pit, yeah, bull. pit bull. Get you a pit bull, bro. Just get, get, you a pit a, bull. get you a rock wilder. Get you something other than a damn doodle, okay? That is but, too funny. But, but for the folks who do love doodles, go for it. Just understand they are not what we think they are. And like on, on a serious note, on, on medically, like we see more of them come in at young ages with all kinds. They are picking up their the, the wrong genes, guys. They picking up the wrong, I'm talking about lymphoma genes left and right. Like how you 15 months and got lymphoma already? Like they, they picking it up. And they will bite you too. I don't know if people know that, but a doodle will bite your ass. Them burner doodles. Oh, come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. I ain't met a nice burner doodle yet <laughs> at all. At all. Yeah. And then they bring him into the clinic and they're like, this is my designer golden doodle poo. And you put it in as a mutt because that's what it as is. Oh, they mad. Oh, man. And then I, you know what else made me? Oh, see, Michelle, see what you did. And you know what else makes me mad when I see one walking with a prong collar on? <laughs> that's how bad when you got to put a prong collar on a doodle you know what's up you're like oh it's, 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 i'm sorry crackhead that one f1 f1 crackhead oh my gosh man i uh but again if we just ask people do your research know what you're getting yourself into before you decide to get yourself a doodle okay. i just have to say my favorite tiktok that you do is the one where the client has like the Balenciaga shoes and the Louis Vuitton and you start playing as a whole lot of money in this oh! motherfucker, but they can't afford their, oh my God. 
That one, I swear to God, I I listen to that one all the time because you walk mm-hmm. in the room, they got the G wagon outside. Pull up fresh. Yes. And you I say something about $400 and they literally tear you a new asshole. You're oh, like, is that your G wagon in the parking lot? Right. And, and then it'd be the ones that I love, the, the, the responsible one that come in now with the car smoking all the way to the parking <laughs> lot and they paying every and got pet insurance. Absolutely. What? You might, Absolutely. you almost want to tell them, you know what? I got a buddy down at them camp. Stop. Go see him. He going to take care of it. I don't know what the hell going on under your hood. Cause something going on under there. I saw it coming in the parking lot. He gonna take care of you because you've been taking care of thing. I'm down. That way, absolutely. This, this is like it's funny, but this is the kind of thing that you want to do for clients. If you know that person struggling in that damn car, like I did. One one of the biggest things I did. I had a, my buddy was at auto mechanic school, right? He had this whole deal where he was like replacing headlights. You know how your, your headlight get like foggy after about ten years and buffing it out. One of my homegirls, she. She damn near hit me coming in the parking lot one day. I said, oh, I didn't see you. I know you damn didn't. You need to get them headlights replaced. So I t- guess what I did for? I called my buddy and I, I said, hey, man, come to the clinic. Because we were ER. I said, come to the clinic at, at 10 o'clock. Knock that thing out. It's going to be a red Volkswagen bug out there. Knock that thing out for me. Y'all, when we got out, she cried. It ain't pay, I ain't paid nothing. He needed this for his... uh. He need to take a picture for a class. He need to. So he went out there, got a class credit. She cried, felt like I had gave her the world. I just didn't want you to hit me coming in this parking lot, sweetheart. But like, it's stuff like that we got to start doing for people. Be, you can be fun with it or whatnot. But like, this is the stuff that they remember versus saying, let me give you a thousand dollars to do this. A thousand, you taking care of your pet, ma'am. And that's what you got to do to your owners and for your clients or whatnot, right? Because that's the relationship you want to build. That's when they are pouring to you if you pour into them. It ain't all about the monetary thing. Notice the small things that you know that they got going on in their life. And if you can change those little small things in their life without them knowing, oh man, you got a client for life. You got a client for life. That was hilarious. Hey, it be the truth. I, she, she loved that little Volkswagen book too. And I'm like, girl, you can be driving around here like that. I work the second shift. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. But she she loved her dog. And you know, and I think we gotta also realize a lot of technicians are like that. I I I, I used to get mad at a technician, then one technician put me in my place. I was like, your paycheck is about $12 because you take home every animal in this damn clinic. You got and they the worst one leggers, one eyers, one twofers. I'm like, you, 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 what is it? Like, stop. She put me in my place one day. She said, Walter, this is what makes me happy. Not you. I said, you know what? She's like, I love these. These my friends. I don't fuck. She's like, Walter, I don't fuck with nobody. You know, I don't. These is my one legators. They, they, they are messes, but I love them. Leave me alone, Walter. I stopped telling them kids about adopting animals around there. Take whatever you want to take home. Didn't know it gonna cost now. And you know, and then it was funny because we had a staff meeting one day and uh, the owner went up there. He's like, uh, we have a hundred thousand dollars in um unpaid bills. I turned around slowly and looked at her, but I was like, hey, you happy? We don't need hundred thousand dollars that we owe them. So while you back there looking, take her home all that stuff, we that money now, but hey. Your happiness is your happiness, sweetheart. Your happiness is your happiness. Uh, 
So how can our listeners support you and the work that you're doing? Oh man, that is uh, great. Again, I definitely have some things coming out this year or next year. Definitely the website will be coming out where I'm doing a lot of continuing education. Um, a lot of people ask me like, hey man, you should do some video type deal. And um, I again, I'm going to film or having gone to film school and being a film school graduate, I got so many cameras and stuff. So I actually have no CE events where we're actually showing different things like how to place that catheter, how to place that NG2 want to do a little bit something different kind of give it like a a vet girl type of feel for veterinary technicians so definitely look out for that um other than that you can definitely find me on social media follow me on any of my social media skinny go live on all platforms um facebook instagram tiktok you can definitely find it there s-k-i-n-n-i you definitely won't find it if you use a y uh so definitely you can find me on all those social media type places or whatnot and uh for the most part i think what I would love for everybody to do is, again, remember, this is, a, again, a relay race. And, again, pour into somebody, man. Look Like like my friend uh, A.O. says, it's funny. He's like, love on somebody, man. So take some time and just love on somebody and pour into somebody and understand, like, this is, like, we, you only got a limited amount of time here and, and just have a great time and be a martyr for the cause and pour into people. I think that's my biggest thing I would ask for anybody listening to do right now. Just tell somebody you love them. Just never know what to do. But thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. It was amazing. This is fun. I love it.